Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Hey, Real Life, God bless you. It's Pastor Jim. It's good to be with you again. We are continuing in our series of studies on the book of Galatians because, again, this is a book of freedom. And if over the last couple of years you have felt your freedom was kind of impinged upon, if you felt your freedom was kind of taken away in the last couple of years, Galatians is a book that promises us the freedom of the gospel. And I love this book. And I like the fact that you all are exploring this and diving into this. Um, One of the members of our congregation came to me a week ago and said, hey, I want to start reading the Bible for myself. Are there commentaries I should use? Where should I start reading? What book should I read? Uh, And I love the fact that we as a church uh, affirm God's word and want to immerse ourselves in God's word. And I'm thankful for all of you who do that on your own and in your small groups. Uh, So God bless your studies of the word uh, as we study the word together on the weekends. Uh, Galatians is this study in freedom. It is the declaration of independence of the Christian faith because the Apostle Paul has a message that has radically changed his life and that's going to radically change the world. Uh, Again, remember the context here. Paul goes to the Galatians, uh, a region in modern-day Turkey, to Galatia, and he goes to and speaks to the Jewish people and says, the Messiah has come. His name is Jesus of Nazareth, and we now worship him. And so he begins to build a Christian church. And then they welcome in the non-Jewish people as well. And this is the foundation of the church in Galatia. He puts some elders in charge of the church, and then he goes off to start another church. While he's gone, some teachers from Jerusalem with great authority, people with PhDs, come and they tell the Galatians, hold on a second. You can't just do whatever you want to because Paul said so. You still have to follow all the Jewish laws. You have to stick to all the Jewish traditions. See, Paul has said, in Jesus, we're absolutely free. He died on the cross for our sins. And now we are no longer obligated to the strict confines of the Jewish law. We are absolutely free. And the Jewish teachers come from Jerusalem saying, that's not the case. We still have to follow all the rules. You still have to keep uh, circumcision and all the holidays and all the dietary rituals, and you can't break the laws, and you can believe in Jesus, but don't let go of the law. And so Paul has now gotten wind of this, and he writes his letter back to Galatia, and it is a fierce letter. Uh, we saw last week, uh, if you were here or if you follow the podcast at reallife.la, you know he is angry in Galatians. Don't turn away from the gospel. It is the, the heart of my message. It is what we are all about. And anything else is a false gospel. Don't go running back to the law which enslaved you in the first place and try to prove yourself to God by by being good enough. That never worked in the first place and it's not going to work. Instead, stick to the truth and the freedom of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's where we're going to pick up today as Paul continues to defend his message. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for freedom, the freedom that you give us, the freedom that we have in the cross. Because in your cross, we know that we're forgiven. That everything we've ever done wrong got what it deserved through you on the cross. Help us to live in that forgiveness. Not running back to the guilt and the shame that the law put on us, 
but living in absolute freedom of your forgiveness. And because of that freedom, put your, your grace in our hearts. Put your spirit in our hearts and set us free to forgive others and to be graceful to others when they've wronged us, when they haven't lived well. Help us to be a voice of love in their lives. It is for freedom that you have set us free. So help us to live in that freedom. And now may the words in my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. All right, we are going to continue uh, right where we left off in Galatians. We were reading last week in chapter 1, uh, and we read through verses 11 and 12. We're going to start with verse 11 and then read the section that comes next. And Paul is now going to say, Here, here's the message I'm defending, and I want you to see that I got this message from Jesus and not from the other apostles. I didn't get it from Peter. I didn't get it from James. I didn't get it from John. Uh, and he's going to show us how the other apostles supported his message, though he's confident that he doesn't need any approval because he got his message from Jesus. This is Galatians chapter 1 at verse 11. Listen to the word of God. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. See, before Paul became a Christian, he was a strict Jewish leader who believed that Christians were teaching false doctrine. And their false doctrine, their false doctrine was going to pollute Judaism. So he actually went around arresting them and even killed the first Christian martyr, Stephen. In the book of Acts, chapter 7, you could read, a, Paul goes and has Stephen stoned to death uh, uh, because Stephen is preaching that Jesus was God. And Paul will have nothing to do with that. So they've all heard this reputation he had for being this murderous religious legalist. Uh, tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. Okay, so, so Paul wants to make clear that he is preaching a gospel of freedom that came from Jesus. And these false teachers who came from Jerusalem with a, a more legalistic message are wrong. And the apostles who traveled with Jesus didn't add anything to Paul's message and didn't give him anything, any, uh, his message. He got his message from Jesus. Jesus revealed himself to Paul dramatically uh, on the road to Damascus, speaking audibly to Paul. And that led to Paul's conversion. And he went from being someone who persecuted the church to someone who preached the gospel. Here's what Paul's trying to do in his letter to the Galatians. Here's the message of freedom that he wants. Uh, and here, here are his opponents. Imagine uh, a little child uh, learning to play t-ball. Uh, and you know how t-ball goes. Uh, it's, a, it's a lot of chaos. It's kind of slowly learning the rules so you can get better at the game. Uh, and in this scenario, this, uh, this little child learning how to play t-ball uh, has a mom and a dad who disagree about how t-ball should be coached. And they both want to coach the kids' t-ball team, but they have very different methods. Uh, dad wants to make sure all the rules are followed and that the kids learn 
uh, the rules of the game. Mom just wants them to have fun. Mom wants them to enjoy the sport. They're little. They don't need too much rigorous training. Dad wants to make sure the wiffle ball is regulation size. And so what they do is they decide they're going to split coaching. And sometimes dad's going to coach and sometimes mom's going to coach. So when it's mom's turn to coach, uh, mom uh, says, we're just going to let them play. Let them do what they want. They're going to love it. You know, if they enjoy it, then when they're older, they'll want to learn it. And so the kids go out and play t-ball for a while. And their kids just kind of wandering through the outfield. Uh, Pretty soon the ball hits the ground and it transforms from t-ball to golf. And... Uh, it's, it's cute for about 10 minutes. And after that, it's just tiring because it's pointless. Uh, no one could keep score anyway because it's not clear how anyone would score in this game without rules. In general, that kind of laissez-faire leadership doesn't work when you have new employees or untrained employees. Uh, when you have an, an unseasoned team, they need more clear guidelines. And uh, laissez-faire leadership only works when you have developed, mature leaders who are capable of leading themselves. Uh, so, so mom's coaching style isn't, isn't exactly right, and kids are, are likely not to learn the game uh, and maybe even get hurt in all the chaos. Well, the next time, it's next game, it's dad's turn to coach. And uh, dad uh, goes out to the plate, calls the first kid over, Caleb, come here. Uh, and Caleb stands at the plate and says, okay, Caleb, you're going to stand with your legs about this far apart. Put your left leg a little bit back, shoulders up. Caleb, you're going to keep your eye on the ball. Caleb, are you paying attention to me? we got to learn the rules here. Now, I'm going to have you hit the ball towards the third uh, baseman because this guy on third base is not paying any attention. Caleb, legs apart, leg, uh, left leg a little bit back, shoulder straight, keep your eye on the ball. Pay attention, Caleb. You're going to run to first base, and I want you to clear first base and go to second. They're not going to stop you, Caleb. Caleb, pay attention. Shoulders up, legs apart. Caleb, are you listening to me? Caleb, there's no crying in baseball. Right? And you could definitely keep score in this kind of game if anyone actually wanted to play. But the truth is, strict authoritarian leadership often sucks the life out of people who want to enjoy the game. It often sucks the life out of anybody with an ounce of creativity who actually wants to be themselves. Uh, And so uh, this kind of authoritarian leadership isn't going to work either. Well, Here are the two obstacles Paul is facing. On the one hand, there is the risk and danger of liberality in the Greco-Roman world. There are all kinds of pagan cults, all kinds of wild behaviors that are wrecking people's lives. And on the one hand, the Galatians could be lured back in the direction of the Greco-Roman culture and all of its paganism, all of its recklessness. So Judaism uh, offers a, a, a nice alternative. Their rules, their boundaries... But, but you see in pursuing the Jewish law, it's, and it's expected that you will follow it to the hilt, that you will follow every single rule in the Jewish canon. There are 600 laws in the Hebrew scriptures, and you're supposed to follow every single one of them. And if you break any of them, you have to go and sacrifice an animal at the temple to show that you deserve to die for breaking God's law. And that animal's got to die in your place. And this foreshadows the cross of Jesus. But it's an intense, it's a rigorous, intense kind of legalism. And and the people who who seem to do it best take power in the Jewish culture. And they shame those who don't do it well. They shame those who are from the wrong families or the wrong cultures or who have been so damaged along life's way 
that they can no longer meet the social expectations of the culture. And this, this group of, of Pharisees, the ones who, with whom Jesus argues every day, govern their society with a kind of strict religious, religious legalism that is authoritarian and oppressive. Paul is trying to steer a course between these two. Because the gospel of Jesus says there are healthy boundaries to the way we are made that are not meant to be legalistic and oppressive. They're meant to set us free. So don't go running off to legalism that just enslaves you. Instead, live in the freedom of the gospel. Jesus died on the cross for you so that you could be forgiven, so that all the things for which you are guilty are washed away, so that all the things that addict you and enslave you are broken of their power. And now you get to live a life of freedom. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Paul says, don't turn aside to the way mom coaches, the way dad coaches in my little parable here. The, the, the plan of the scriptures goes this way. God's plan A for his people was Adam and Eve living in the Garden of Eden in perfect, unbroken unity with the Father, in a perfect, unbroken relationship with God. When they rejected that, when we reject God's leadership in our lives, God goes to plan B, which is the strict authoritarian leadership of the law. If you're not going to do it on my terms in a relationship with me, I'll give you the law. You do it yourself and see how well that goes. Follow all of these commandments. Live an absolutely perfect life. Be immaculate in your morality. Never stray. And if you do, you deserve death. So, I'll set up a system by which you can sacrifice animals to die in your place. But that, that is a graphic object lesson of what you deserve. So then you get back and you follow the moral law again and you follow it strictly. God's plan B is the authoritarian leadership of the law. And we often end up failing in it. Uh, Martin Luther, uh, the great reformer of the 16th century, in his commentary on Galatians, said God's law is a hammer to our self-righteousness. Anytime we feel proud of ourselves or good of ourselves, all we have to do is look at God's law and see how much we've failed. It hammers our self-righteousness. So God's, God's plan B is the strict authoritarian leadership of the law, which only serves to show we can't play the game. We are failures. God's plan C is Jesus Christ. Jesus dies on the cross as a final sacrifice for us. So we no longer have to offer sacrifices to pay for our sin. We just have to believe in him, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he rose from the dead, and that now we can live life with him. And, and he places in our hearts his spirit. This is Paul's great alternative to the legalism of Judaism, Life in the Spirit is the alternative. God places his spirit in your heart, and it becomes like a law written on your heart. God speaks to you and guides you day to day so that you can live faithfully. It breaks the power of sin in your life so that you're no longer bound to addictions. Instead, you're free. You're free in Jesus, and you're free in new life and in real life. That's the message that Paul wants to defend. That's his gospel. Okay, so now Paul's going to continue here. 
Uh, he's uh, he's uh, laid out his gospel. He's de- defended it uh, fairly uh, fiercely here. And now he's going to start talking about, he's going to defend his identity. And I'm going to read a, a pretty good-sized block of text here because it all holds together as one narrative. He's going to go through his autobiography, and then he's going to talk about how he interacted with the other apostles. This is at verse 17. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went to Arabia and later I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, which is another name for Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. Now, Paul's being very specific about the timelines here. Uh, I didn't go see uh, anybody in Jerusalem for three years. I got this message from Jesus, not from those apostles. And when I did go, I only went for 15 days. It was just a couple weeks, you guys. It was like a vacation. Three years, I had this message. It didn't come from anybody else. I got it from Jesus. I was only in, I really only saw Peter, right? Verse 19, I saw none of the other apostles. And then he cuts his losses here. Only James, the Lord's brother. I did see James. James who wrote the letter of James in the New Testament, right? Uh, Who's a leader in Jerusalem. So I saw Peter and I saw James. I assure you before God that what I'm writing you is no lie. I I didn't talk to anybody else. This message of mine, this, this gospel of mine doesn't come from anybody else. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. In other words, I didn't stay there in Jerusalem. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. The people in Jerusalem were not shaping my message, but they were blessed by my message. They were blessed by the way it transformed me. Then after 14 years, that's how long I waited, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas, and I took Titus along also. These are his traveling buddies. I went in response to a revelation because the Holy Spirit often tells the apostles where to go. And meeting privately with those esteemed to be leaders, that's the other apostles, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. I told them the message. We're absolutely free from the Jewish law. We're free from circumcision. We're free from the holidays. We're free from the dietary rituals. We're absolutely free. And it was so clear, it was so compelling, that not even Titus was compelled to turn to the legalism that we were hearing about. Uh, I don't think it probably took a lot of persuasion uh, to convince Titus that he didn't want to be circumcised, but that, that was the test case for Titus. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. That's the teachers from Jerusalem. They came down here hearing we, were, we weren't following any of the rules. We were eating bacon, and they came down here to see about it. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, the other apostles, Whatever they were makes no difference to me. God doesn't show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, that's to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, to the Jewish people. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, to the Jewish people, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John those esteemed to be pillars, the most important guys in the church, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship 
when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they should go to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. Okay, this is incredibly important and so practical. Paul wants to say, look at, look at how he waffles back and forth. Uh, I got the message directly from Jesus. In three years, I didn't get it from anybody in Jerusalem, but I did go to Jerusalem and I did meet Peter, but they didn't add anything to my message, and then I went somewhere else. And it was 14 years later I came back, and I did share my message. And listen to what he says, because I wanted to make sure I wasn't wrong. Right? He's been so clear. It came from Jesus. I didn't need any approval. I needed their approval. I wanted to make sure I wasn't wrong. But they agreed. They didn't disagree at all, and it didn't convince Titus to change to their side. My message was absolutely clear. I got their approval, but I didn't need their approval. God doesn't care uh, who's in high status. That doesn't matter. Uh, I got it from Jesus, and that's all. The he waffles back and forth. I didn't need their approval, but I did need their approval. He's not being hypocritical here. He is giving you and I such a valuable lesson in discerning God's call for our lives, in listening to what God wants us to do, in seeking God's call for our lives. We need the approval of wise Christians around us, but we need to be so convinced that Jesus is leading us that we would do it without approval. This is so practical. This is so brilliant. Uh, these, are, these are criteria that we can use anytime we have to make a decision. So think right now about a decision that you're facing in your life. Do the wise Christians that you know tell you, yes, that's a, good, that's a good decision, that's a good way to go? Or are there wise Christians you need to seek out to consult with them about whether or not it's a wise decision? And are you so determined that Jesus is calling you that you would do it even if no one approved? Because this is how Christian discernment works. We need the approval of the Christian community, and we need to be so determined that Jesus is leading us that we would do it anyway. If the Christian community, if wise Christians tell us we're on the wrong path, we need to listen to that. Imagine uh, you've been playing uh, basketball your whole life and you decide you're gonna switch to baseball and everybody's like, no, Michael Jordan, that's a terrible idea. Don't do that. Well, it doesn't usually go well. Or, or imagine you wanna, um, you wanna date some hot new boo and all your friends are like, no, you guys are terrible together. No, he will be terrible for you, and you will be terrible for him, and you guys will make ugly babies. That's how bad it is. Uh, your friends are rude, but that's what they say. Your friends are always right. When your friends tell you that relationship's not going to work, the friends are always right. You need the input of people outside of yourself, especially wise Christians. As you make critical decisions, you need, you need that community approval to know that you're on the path that God has laid out for you. But you also have to be determined that Jesus has called you no matter what. It's like the tradition in the Nazarene church where when somebody was stepping forward to be ordained as a pastor, they would go through batteries of interviews and tests. But there was one final question they were asked before they could be a pastor. The interviewing community, community, uh, committee would say, if we tell you no, if we tell you that you can't be a pastor, what will you do? And there was only one correct answer. Everybody was to say the same thing. You were to answer, I'll preach it anyway. Even if you say no, I'll preach it anyway. 
And when we seek to discern God's call on our lives, we have to have that, that conviction, that determination, that even if everybody says, no, Jesus is calling me to this. It's, it's a, an ironic tension. We need the approval of wise Christians, and yet we need to be so determined that Jesus is calling us, we do it without anybody's approval. Those, those twin realities in tension help discern God's calling. So this is, this is what Paul uh, lays out for us uh, in his discerning of his message that he is so fierce to defend in Galatians. Now let's go back to, uh, let's go back to his message. Let's go back to the heart of his message and our, our little parable about the, the kid playing t-ball. Uh, let's say uh, this little girl grows up. Uh, she goes off to college. She's playing college ball now. Uh, she loves it. And she's not playing because she feels like she has to. She's playing because she loves the sport. Uh, she knows the sport well now. It's written on her heart. When she runs around the bases, she doesn't have to flip through a rule book as she runs to make sure she's doing it right. She knows the game. Imagine her sitting in a locker room by herself, and she's thinking back over her life. And she remembers dad's coaching and how strict it was and how oppressive it felt, and she doesn't want that anymore. And she remembers mom's coaching, and she remembers some of the chaos that erupted from that, and that, that wasn't that fun. But now, she plays the game because she loves it. She plays the game because the sport is on her heart. She knows where the boundaries are, and she knows the boundaries make the game work. But she doesn't play it because she has to. She plays it because she's free to do so. Paul wants you and I free to live life in the Spirit, free to live a life where Jesus speaks to us and guides us every day, free to live a life where we are not bound by guilt and shame because he died for us. Paul wants us to experience the freedom that Christians are called to. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free, Galatians 5.1. Don't compromise that and go running off to reckless liberality. Don't compromise that and go running back to angry religious legalism. Live in the freedom of the Spirit. So let's do a, a little exercise together. Close your eyes for me, if you would, wherever you are. Glendora campus, chapel, online, wherever you are, close your eyes with me. And picture this. Picture yourself sitting alone in a room with a locked door. And this room symbolizes what some of us have been through. If you've grown up in a strict, oppressive religious context which has sought to make you feel guilty and ashamed, it can feel like being trapped in a locked room where you're afraid to be involved in church, where you're afraid to pursue God, where you're afraid to trust religious people because you have been burned by religious legalism. It feels like being locked in a room. Or for some of us, we grew up with the opposite. We grew up with such a reckless and unhealthy context with people who did not honor healthy boundaries that we are now distrustful of the world around us. We don't trust other people for fear that they will violate boundaries as well. And in the same way, that feels like being locked in a room that you can't get out of. So with your eyes closed, picture yourself sitting in this 
room with a locked door. And outside, Jesus comes to the door. And he unlocks it. And he knocks. He wants to invite you out of and away from legalism and liberality. To live a life of freedom in the spirit. He wants to give you a healthy life and a happy life and a life of freedom. He knocks at the door. The only thing waiting for you outside that door is absolute love. So when you're ready, stand up. Go walk to the door. Open it. And let him in. Jesus, thank you for the freedom that you set us free to. Thank you for being that sacrifice that takes away our, all our guilt. Set us free from the guilt that we still hold on to on days where we are not sure about ourselves. Set us free to life in the Spirit and to love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.